So welcome to the Topco Business Unusual podcast. Today I'm with Dr. Adriana Morea. Um, my brother said we should put music behind this. Uh, that song, I don't know who sings it. Adriana. Adriana. <laughs> <laughs> Not Adrianus. <laughs> Adrianus, that one, that one, that one. I would have immediately hung in the up. background. I would have immediately hung up on the call. That's my worst. <laughs> Tim, don't put that in the background, please. Okay, it's going to upset you. So that's quite an intro. Um, so for me, I'm really excited to chat to you today. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't get the chance to speak to many space explorers or um, people who want to go to Mars, and and so I know that you're really highly qualified, and but your ambitions are to to get outside your comfort zone and to do things that, to be quite honest, scares the living daylights out of me. Um, and I thought I'm quite adventurous, but I think what you're looking to do is is in in a way you made me feel quite normal. Um, because I think you, you're, you're putting yourself in a position where you want to explore Mars. You want to put yourself in a position where you're ready to explore Mars. And that's really both interesting and scary, right? Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I could go back to my research about trying to understand where life came from and the fact that we don't have the computing power to even begin to think about calculating some of the things we're going to need to know, even if we have a quantum computer, it's not clear. So basically, it's actually the simplest solution I can come up with is to actually travel to next door neighbor planet Mars and hopefully beyond to look for those, those data points, those clues about where we come from and whether life can exist on other planets. So at this point, it's going to be easier to get to Mars um, to answer those uh, age-old questions like what is life and where do we come from? Um, it's likely that there was life on Mars. Um, so we already have the technological capability to get there. I mean, we've actually had the technological capability to get to Mars since the 70s, before the internet even, because we landed the Viking missions on the surface of Mars in the 70s. So, um, in fact, uh, yeah, uh, the time is, is, is right. Uh, the time um, is right now, in fact. We need to explore beyond Earth. There are plenty of, of reasons I can give mm -hmm. for exploration. Um, mm. But basically, if we want to sustain our species uh, beyond this era, uh, let's see. Um, but for the next few few centuries, I'd say it's imperative that we become, mm. I'm not the only one to say that, a multi-planetary species. So let's get exploring, guys. You know, we've, uh, mm. we've uh, explored the surface of Earth. That's pretty clear. We've uh, overpopulated most of that surface. Um, and it's time for a new paradigm. And I'm glad I was born in precisely this moment when it seems like that's going to happen. So... Yeah. So I mean, I watched the 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 Elon Musk SpaceX launch. What was that? About a week ago, along with millions and millions of other people. So you're right. I mean, the timing is now, and there's a lot of conversations. The race with you know um, a number of people looking at the Mars exploration is quite exciting. And it is quite now, um, and, and I suppose the thing that comes to mind is. The, the cost of doing something like that. I know that you were part of the the Mars project, the one Mars project, where there's like 100 people. You included that you satisfied some requirements of 200,000 people to get the opportunity to go to Mars, but that didn't quite work out financially. So I suppose that would be you. You've definitely got the passion and the intent. 
how how do you create the economic drivers to to make something like that happen? I mean, we can talk about what you're going to explore. It's all like it feels like you, with that ambition, with someone like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, those sort of guys creating that initiative. It's something that I believe actually. I, I, after watching your podcast, watching your talks, I actually do believe you. Great. <laughs> I think it's becoming more and more believable by the day, including the SpaceX launch, I think, um, a couple of weeks back. So for me, that wasn't so much the, the hashtag launch America, where America took credit for celebrating. No, uh, that was actually a celebration of humanity because South African-born mm. Elon Musk had an idea that he mm. would contribute towards the space program, uh, where, which had been dominated historically by either the US government or the Russian government or increasingly China as well. Um, as an individual, he has now bolstered and reignited the, the U.S. space program, um, arguably, you know, the leading, one of the leading space programs on the planet as a single individual. So, yes, the economic model and his billions that he's made previously enabled him to do that. But I also mm. don't think that's an essential feature of, of being able to succeed in the current era. So, because we have this global communications network, the power of the individual and the power of the idea um, is actually more than ever before. Um, we can, you know, share an idea um, to billions of people in instance, um, and that power is something we need to wield. So I think this uh, lockdown that most of us around the world have been part of now has given us a chance to rethink where we're going as a society, uh, rethink maybe on a personal level, you know, what, what we're doing with our time and our jobs and where we live and all of the people we're living with and all of those kind of questions have come up. But I think more importantly, we need to start thinking way more globally than we thought we were before. Because, mm -hmm. you know, just because you well-traveled or you watch, you know, uh, foreign films or whatever, doesn't mean you're thinking globally. Thinking globally means thinking about every single human mind and body on this planet. Um, thinking about healthcare systems and to what extent we have access to them. Because, you know, uh, you can have a developed part of the world with access to good healthcare systems, but the, the, the weakest link in the chain is something that's going to be something everybody needs to think about, um, especially in the case of, of a virus, let's say. So it's forced us to think about equal distribution of, in particular, healthcare, but also education and resources in general. It's forced us to think about how, how resilient we are, you know, what happens if the mm. grocery stores were not resupplied at some point, you know. Do you know mm. your local farmers? Do you know where you get food? Do you have a rainwater tank? Do you have solar panels? Are you able to survive if the system, you know, suffered a, a larger kind of lockdown and the one we just um, hopefully, are, hopefully are emerging out of here? Um, so all of all of these things we've, we've been thinking of, but I think um, more importantly than the now is where we're headed. And for me, it has to be about exploration. Um, and uh, in audiences I address, a lot of people say, well, we haven't explored the bottom of the ocean, so why don't you do that? And I say, well, you know, I'm not preventing anyone from doing anything. Uh, but even just this week, we've seen an astronaut for the first time having gone to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. So even this kind of exploration is happening. Um, so I think in order to successfully kind of create a new trajectory, a new paradigm, we've got to get out of our comfort zone, we've got to explore. Mm. For me, that means contemplating uh, life from more than one planet. I think an appreciation mm. of what we have here on Earth, even though we poorly manage our resources on Earth, you know, things get a lot harder when you leave Earth. And perhaps mm. that's just the wake-up call that we need right now. So mm. individuals like Elon um, and Jeff Bezos, who have the, the money to fund the transportation and, you know, getting off of mm. Earth is always going to be the most technically difficult thing. 
lifting hundreds of tons out of this uh, gravity well, as they call it on sci-fi, to uh, enable yeah. space, space exploration. That's tough, and you need full-on budgets and equipment to enable that. But, um, mm. yeah, I'm probably throwing a whole lot of information here, but that's a nice question you asked about how we raise the money. And the mm. Mars One project did declare bankruptcy last February, which partially inspired me to, to found Proudly Human, um, which is yeah. not a, the Mars One project was a startup, so they didn't raise the money they expected to raise. And I've got a bunch of um, reasons that I have for why that was the case. But what we're trying to do at Proudly Human is um, mm. work on a finance-free model. So we hope mm. to launch and we hope that all partners involved work on trade exchanges um, at no cost to any of the partners. We hope to work together towards a collective goal. And I think this economic shutdown, um, someone commented in an audience I spoke to recently that why is the economic economy failing when we are only focusing on essential goods and services? You know, this is the contradiction that we live with amongst many others. Um, you know, that now that we're focusing on only the things we most fundamentally need, now suddenly this uh, imaginary economy is somehow crumbling. Maybe that's yeah. a sign that we don't need the system anymore. Maybe this profit-driven, consumerist kind of idea that's called the economy, whatever that is, um, is something we need to think, rethink um, and move away from. So we are not uh, looking for investors of Crowdly Human. We're looking for partners. We're looking for people mm -hmm. with, a, with a common vision to ours of creating a better world, whatever um, avenue you're looking at. Um, yeah, ours is to, to enable community living in the most extreme environments, whether that's on Earth, and guess what? There are a lot of, a lot of experts uh, on Earth at living in extreme environments, and these are not people living in the developed world. These are people living in very harsh conditions, eking out an existence, and still managing to retain a sense of humanity. So there are lessons there um, on how mm. to you know, pioneer the first communities on Mars. It's about resilience. Yes, we've heard all the businesses spewing these keywords mm. lately about resilience, but um, I think the resilience I have in mind is something quite different. Um, but yeah, I think we need... We need how to how different is it, Mars. in your mind, the resilience you're thinking of versus <laughs> how... Our economical company resilience. What, what, how no, do you I mean, frame it for people? So, so first it was sustainability, and then you know we yeah. can't sustain ourselves infinitely on a finite planet, so that didn't really make sense to me. Then it was about purpose, and um, you know how can you claim to be purpose driven when we all know that the bottom line is the bottom line? And I mean mm. I've worked in industry for a couple of years only, that was about enough for me. But I know that <laughs> it's profit driven, the activities are profit driven. And at the end of the day, it's about the sale, it's about the income, and it's about the bottom line. So pretending to be purpose driven is pretense. And um, now we're talking mm. about resilience, which means I want my way of doing things to emerge successfully through this era of change. Um, that's not going to happen either. You know, it's not about resilience. Mm -hmm. It's about being flexible and being able to do with less, mm -hmm. um, to do more with less, maybe. So maybe as an example of what I mean here, um, I don't know if you had the chance to check out the YouTube video um, I posted recently of where I've been living for the last 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. um, so we, yeah, I did a little so much where? last Where have you been living? So in the Titicama, so there's a yeah, okay. one-kilometer trail down to a river valley. There's zero infrastructure down. There's zero indication of any human um, passing through there. It's 220 meters descent, so like a quarter of Table Mountain and a one-kilometer trail. And we carried two tons of equipment down there and built a house from scratch. So wooden poles and cement for the foundation, a deck on the top, plastic sheeting for the walls, um, corrugated sheets for the walls and the roof. Um, and even though we're coming into winter, obviously now in the Western Cape, we have weathered a few storms down there and been living off-grid. So we've got gas, we've got car batteries. We're Who's we? 
uh, my partner and I. Um, yeah, we've been there for the whole of lockdown. So, yeah. Wow. Sounds Drinking exciting. Water from the river. Um, yeah, if we didn't grow food, of course, we'd actually lug our groceries down the hill. Um, but this is the reality that so many South Africans and people around the world face, you know, charging car batteries, carrying these around, um, trying to get generators um, to work, even though it's raining, and the uh, gas, okay, gas is quite a reliable source of heating for water and cooking and so on. Um, yeah. I saw in the States, it's, it's growing in popularity and in Europe, but I saw there there's a, a number of people who have got self-subsistence living, but now the, the state are not happy because they're not getting their, they're not able to charge people electricity and rates. And so they're actually trying to stop it. They're trying to say, no, you, you can't live completely off the grid. You have to pay something towards the state, um, yeah. which is crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've got and, to put our foot down for this now. Yeah. And, and it's so funny because um, I, I did a podcast um, with a guy who, who fell off the boat in the middle of the ocean, 100 miles out to sea, and he survived for 28 hours. But the, the gentleman that actually saved him was an Australian who learned to build boats. When he was like 13 years old, he built his first boat. And he built another boat when he was like 19, and he went to the Mentawi Islands and travels around and sort of, some, you know, he, he lives. But I think the amazing thing was someone so young building something like a boat, that's also something that would be really inspiring for me, being able to travel the world and navigate, but building that boat. But here I live in this corporate world where using our creativity is not, is not something that we do. And I think this lockdown showed, like, my children live very privileged lives where they had to do things that they weren't really used to doing. But instead of it being a chore, I saw them actually enjoying it. Mm. So it was, it was funny. So there's no... <laughs> well, I think, I think that we've been so sucked into a certain way of living, a, a so-called better way, that I think that it's time to actually go back to what we're really good at. And I think you're right. It's that building of your house. It's something that I think most people dream of doing. And maybe we're too scared to do those small things. And so it's really amazing to see that you're doing something like that. Um, and to see what we're possible, what's possible, what we're possible of creating and doing. Um, it's funny, it seems like we, we, we push away from hardship, but in fact, when it comes, we get that self-confidence that we can overcome things. Um, Definitely. Yeah, there's a story that I was reminded of now. So the uh, part of the inspiration for um, some of the proudly human activities the movement I founded last year um, was watching the endurance documentary on YouTube about the Shackleton expedition to Antarctica. So mm. uh, never mind having built the boat. So anyway, they set off trying to reach the South Pole, um, but actually they don't reach Antarctica. They get stuck in the ice before they even reach land. So now the boat, uh, it was a cold spell earlier than expected. So they're now stuck in the ice um, and the sound of the wood kind of cracking as the sea ice moves around was like a, the dying of a beast, you know, and then um, and you can watch this on YouTube called The Endurance. So then they both started cracking up um, and they realized it's not going to be floatable within some periods. So they have to evacuate off the boats onto the lifeboats and onto the ice floes that are around. So now they're stuck without any communication systems. This is in 1914. Um, sort of World War I has broken up, but uh, they're not really aware of that and no one is really aware that they have made it to the continent. And they are at sea for almost two years. Not a single life was lost. Um, so 
a lot of uh, credit is given to the leadership skills of Shackleton. Mm. And mm. I think um, what you're saying now mm. about you know team cohesion and human spirits and a uh, sense of resilience and purpose and all of these things actually emerge naturally um, under pressure, um, under mm. good leadership, let's say. Things could have swung either way. We could have had mm. a, a story coming back of complete anarchy, but mm. instead the uh, three probably largely the leadership of Shackleton, um, that this whole, all of the men, or men of course back in those days, all survived. They made their way on lifeboats and various other scenarios um, and were eventually rescued on Elephant Island, was it? So this is on YouTube, you can see some of the original footage because like, um, like astronauts and like a lot of space exploration, the media plays a cool, uh, key role in mm. funding and publicizing what goes on there. So they had the film sort of guy with them to take photos and some uh, early videos, I think, as well. So you can see the starkness of the environment. I mean, then it's really you against the elements. So this, this was a great story that got me thinking about, you know, we don't, we don't need to prepare for life on Mars and space. Um, there's plenty of opportunities to develop the human characteristics, but also to think about the technology um, in the harsh environments on Earth. And in fact, our best colors are often showed or our, our good sides come out, you know, under these really trying scenarios. Um, mm. Yeah, and I think also to think of the challenges that so many people face every day without, without choosing to put themselves in extreme circumstances, you know, not having access to um, the grid, so having to walk far to collect water every day, and this is the mindset we're going to need on Mars. Water's not going to come out the tap. Um, we're going to need to build the systems from scratch. We're going to need to conserve mm. resources like we've probably not got used to doing in cities on Earth because, you know, uh, I guess a lot of children don't really know, or adults too, let's say, where exactly the water comes from, where it goes, and what kind of expertise we're required to set up that system. Um, mm. Communication is another thing we kind of take for granted. Um, mm. I think about like, you know, how our phones work, it's kind of a complicated thing, which I don't know fully, um, but at least some understanding of which towers are relaying the signals and, and then we realize that it's quite a dangerous kind of centralized system we live in, where we mm. assume that tomorrow, you know, the sun will probably rise, yes, but will the water come out the tap, will the grid still work, will the power mm. be, uh, you know, these are questions I think we should think about, yeah. Well, probably South Africans know more about water especially in Cape Town and electricity, thanks to ESCOM than most other countries. So at least... <laughs> yeah, well, I must say 50 litres a day is a luxury. So down in the forest, we're living on far less. We've got the river right there, um, but a shower of like 20, 15 to 20 litres, even while washing hair, and my hair is a bit of a mission to wash. So I must say 50 litres is luxurious, guys. I was going to say, do you wash it? Do you wash it or do you just let it grow just... Because my sister had of, just like you. a bunch of dirty hippies that have spread the rumor that people with dreadlocks don't wash their hair. We wash our hair like My children people. tell me, my children tell me they weren't washing their hair. They were saying to me, no, dad, we were told by our teacher that we must let it oil naturally. So I was like, oh, no, well, you must go wash that. Wash, go wash that thing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, 15 liters is kind of what we were working with. And so, yeah. So, I mean, I look at um, where you are and your your level of expertise and knowledge and i think you must have studied an awful lot you must have had an amazing education but what was driving you i mean you talk about an inquiring mind but what, what was driving you to i mean you've done quantum biology i mean i had to research that by the way thanks a lot and then like um quantum <laughs> mechanics i had to research that as well thank you very much so I've, I've learned two things so far Maybe other people don't know this stuff. I knew about quantum computing, 
Um, I spoke to someone about quantum computing. Um, I don't really understand it. I know the, so, I mean, the word quantum, it means what? So, I mean, if you're trying to figure out what's going on in terms of where am I, what is reality, um, science is really the formalism of the kinds of questions that we've been asking since the beginning. You know, the first humans who looked up and saw lights in the sky and said, what are those? You know, now we've got a body of knowledge that explains what stars are and so on. And um, so I think science is far less um, a something separate from humanity than what we may think sometimes. Science is really just mm. a detailed uh, analysis of the questions that every child asks and some adults have spent like, a lot of time investigating. Um, mm. So quantum is really just when you break it down to the smallest possible constituents. So like, mm. a, like a child will keep asking why, why, what is that made of? What is that made of? It was me. You keep going down <laughs> and finally get to the... the smallest part that you can describe like when you break open something and you find out the smallest the possible right? component well even we can go down to nuclei and then talk about the quarks that constitute the nuclei um oh, but wow. yeah so the way that these things yeah. behave is different to the way that like objects that we are used to behave that whole field of describing how these things electrons molecules atoms and all of these things behave is called quantum physics um, it's not something that is separate from our reality because it's enabled the transistor to be built on which computers were built later, on which the internet is obviously founded and we connected these computers. So the transistor was really the beginning um, of the communications network that we all enjoy. And that's really one of the greatest things we've done as humans, I would say. Mm. You know, if intelligent aliens visited our planet, there's a lot I'm really not proud of, and I'm not sure I would volunteer to be the tour guide for a bunch of aliens who came to say, hey, show us around the planet, because a lot of this stuff is shocking, you know, and that's a nice little tool that I use to think about whether something makes sense or not, you know, would a superior and intelligent race uh, of aliens find that impressive? And I think, I think the global communications network is honestly something that we should be proud of because of the, mm -hmm. the speed with which ideas can now travel. Um, but basically yeah. that can all be traced back to quantum physics, which emerged in the early 1900s um, when Einstein and Niels Bohr and other names people may know were theorizing about how very small things work. Um, the transistor yeah, came in the 40s and 50s and so on. So, so yeah, I mean, we don't all need to be able to build a phone from scratch. It's probably good to know someone who can do that because what happens if, you know, <laughs> what happens if there is some catastrophe where you do need that knowledge? I, I need uh, new friends. <laughs> yeah, at least one, maybe. <laughs> you can build a communications tower or something. Um, yeah, I think so. Just to have an interest in, in these, and now that we have YouTube and you know, the three minute version uh, of how these things work, I think it's a great era that we live in where one can have a, um, a brief understanding at least. I mean, I, I look at you and I think to myself, wow, how could I possibly have an intellectual conversation with you? Um, do you find that you struggle to to find people in the same mental capacity as as you no no not at all i think i think the challenge is to explain the things that you know in a way that someone who knows different things can understand because um yeah it's been a privilege of course to have spent so long at university uh, through scholarships and um yeah being able to do that without having children to feed and so on um so that is of course a privilege that I believe comes with a responsibility to then share knowledge. So thanks for asking these questions. So I can tick that off today, share some knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> no, to share knowledge in a way that others can understand. Because if, if you are talking and other people are not understanding what you're saying, 
that's not their problem. That's your problem. That's your communication that you need to improve, I believe. Mm. So, yeah, science communication is a great way to start thinking about that. But I think that's a human challenge in general, you know, it's trying to explain what's in your head to someone else with a different set of things in their head. Um, and that's another learning curve for all of us, I think, on a daily basis. So, I mean, what, what, one of the things that I was told is that an, an intelligent person can explain a complicated theory to an eight-year-old. Um, is, is there any truth in that? Yeah, I mean, I think so. The people say Einstein said that because he knows each thing is often change on the internet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the point is like, why did you invest in all of that knowledge? And I find even a lot of scientists lack in, in that understanding. Like people will deliver quite uh, complex theories uh, at an academic conference, assuming that everybody's on board with why they've done that research. So for me to frame like why you started investigating that in the first place is exactly what the eight-year-old is going to be interested in. So if you can't convince someone why you started um, investigating that in great detail um, to get them interested in hearing about some of your results, um, then that's your failure. So, yeah, I mean, the... People might think it's coming down, but actually, no, it's uh, getting to the core, getting to the essence of, of what you're talking about. So trying to convince people about uh, why we need to leave the planet, um, not leave, but why we need to explore beyond Earth, uh, is been exactly one of those questions where, you know, you can tell people that the sun will eventually die, and if we want to become a civilization that survives that event, then we need to leave the planet. But um, that's sort of beyond most people's daily sphere of understanding. Uh, we don't want to think half a billion years from now, you know, that doesn't really strike home with people. So finding the analogy that you mentioned um, earlier over chatting before we came online about the parallels of history. So I think the, mm. like 500 years ago, let's say, the explorers who were staring out to the horizon of the ocean, wondering what was there and building boats and, and going to find what was there. This, this spirit is exactly the same as the spirit with which we now look to this uh, you know, orangey light in the sky that's Mars, which is our next door neighbor planet. This is the closest, most feasible place to go and visit. And How close is it? So around 200 million kilometers. Yeah, the moon doesn't really count as exploring space because it's part of Earth, it orbits around Earth. So. Getting to the moon was a fantastic achievement of the 1960s, but I don't think going back there is really something to celebrate as a marketing strategy. <laughs> no, my friends uh, asked me, would I go to the moon? So I said, well, if someone paid, yes. Um, mm. But I mean, that, that takes a couple, how long does it take to get to the moon? Like two days? Yeah, so the moon is a few days away. So the moon will always be part of Earth, then Earth's economy, Earth's activities, national programs, yeah. etc. Mars is far enough away. So, uh, like six months, let's say. Um, we six months in a capsule. Yeah, there's proposals to reduce that to 39 days if you can accelerate um, halfway there and then decelerate the other half of the way at 1G, which would mean you have an experience <laughs> the same as being on the surface of Earth for the whole way there. Um, then you could get there in 39 days, but we need better propulsion or different propulsion systems to be able to do that. So currently with existing technology, it's like a seven-month seven month journey, which is remarkably similar to the boat trips across the Atlantic. Um, you know, the, the people on the Mayflower, the people who arrived, my ancestors, the Marea family who arrived in the Cape, they went on several-month journeys through treacherous seas where people died not only of the stormy weather, but of um, 
you know, dietary pro like malnutrition, etc. Times were hard. Um, so yeah, so you could have a big goal, right? <laughs> but you could have a big goal driving that risk because there's got to be a reward that's equal to the risk of dying. Because I suppose that's well, the it's thing. not a risk; it's a guarantee. Everybody <laughs> dies. How are you going to okay. die? That's the question. How are you okay. going to die? Are you so going to die as a, as a risk uh, version uh, kind of? <laughs> so the risk is actually dying a boring life, and as opposed yeah. to dying an exciting journey. Is that the is that the thinking? Yeah, I mean, I would hate to look back on my life and think that I could have done more. So I think this way at least guarantees that I don't <laughs> end up in that scenario. Um, I think you've already done that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, so I mean, going back to what created this dream, I mean, you talked about you were four years old. I mean, I think when I was five years old was some of my earliest memories. So you're four and you thought about space. That's, that's crazy. You know, nobody knows why. I mean, my parents weren't bringing me space books or anything. They are both in education and... Uh, like stopped helping me with my maths homework when I was like 10. <laughs> They're not big into the, the math and science. So they, my dad's a psychologist and my mom worked in education in many different aspects. So yeah, that's it, it wasn't simulated by them. Let's say it came from somewhere else, um, given that we didn't have TV in South Africa in the, in the early 80s. Was, it, was it reading? Do you think, because I was going to ask you, you've obviously studied a lot, so you've done a lot of reading. And I'm seeing a big trend now. Are they saying book? are really being acquired or read now by CEOs or decision makers where the youth aren't reading nearly as much and is and, and I keep on having this fight with my children every day go read a book get off the computers stop mm -hmm. playing the games my one son said he wants to be a professional gamer he's 13 I said you don't have to worry about that now boy <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to work but this is what he wants I'm saying no go re read a book and explore and and Get some ideas. Do you think it was that? Do you think? Well, that's a, interesting that you brought that up now because I've been thinking about that. Um, yeah, for me, I, I don't know. I mean, it was more like a vision, though, so I can't really explain it. Um, maybe there is such a thing as destiny, you know, I don't know. I try to keep an open mind about these things, so I have to actually say I don't know. Certainly, my parents encouraged my curiosity, so if I ever had a question yeah. or something they didn't know, they'd actually drive me to the public library or... Later, we had to drive to the university library to find the right book for the kind of questions I was asking. So they definitely wow. encouraged my curiosity, um, both being lovers of reading and learning and so on. But now with regard to the change in culture, I mean, I even wonder if, if the CEOs really do read these books because in the busy lives that we all lead, you know, I find it difficult to finish a book nowadays. Like it's quite a good book that I actually finish and then skim read and kind of pick up the main points from as a person who loves reading. Just because of the high-paced mm. lifestyles, you know, to find a moment mm. when you're not checking your phone or getting emails or whatever, where you can sit and read a book for five hours. I mean, that's like she's you know, something you do once mm. a year or something. So, yeah. so, so I'm trying to. Does that? Yeah, maybe, does yeah. That. He goes away for a week, and I, I yeah, often so once away, a year, yeah. I go away to Indonesia every mm. year on a s surfing holiday. Mm normally with my brother and some friends, but I use it as a time to, I take a whole bunch of books with me and I read and we go to South Sumatra in Indonesia. Oh, yeah. And it's like, there's nothing there. So it's almost like sort of what you're doing. It's really off grid. So you drive around in a, a beaten up old scooter, um, you're getting local food and you just having that time to yourself, really. There's no sort of shops or anything to 
distract you. And I think I go there to realize how special life is without all the trappings. And I do, I also find I do my best thinking. Mm. And you have to be quiet to think. Yeah. Is it is it that? Yeah, maybe. And I also do a lot of reading, and I really enjoy. So I really yeah, look forward to that time mm. of. I don't know if it's called escape or maybe I feel I plan my future in those moments as mm. opposed to react to my situation. Mm. And I kind of yeah. kind of get that sense of where I want to go. So I can speak to, I kind of get that time to speak to myself. Um, and I think maybe that's what's missing in some people's lives. They're reacting. React. I think that's a perfect description. Yeah. There's so much happening that, you know, we even feel like we're missing something when we're not constantly reacting to something. Like you find yourself yeah. having five minutes of peace and quiet and what do you do? You check your phone because you're waiting to react to something else. So I think that's sure. exactly a good word to use. We're so busy reacting to various uh, stimuli from various directions. So they, you know, physical space or the virtual space. Um, but then, but then related points. So yes, we need to take time out. Yes, if we can find an hour every morning to have some peace and quiet, stare out the window, pray, meditate, call it whatever you want, do yoga, do push-ups, whatever it is. Like that yeah. calm, that lack of stimuli coming in is something that we all desperately need in order to think clearly about what we're doing and where we're going. Um, mm. But then on the other hand, if you want to share a message with the public at large, what I've been thinking about lately, given that I, I'm also convinced that the new generations are not reading as much as I did when I was a kid, um, but are rather getting uh, a lot of uh, hours in, in terms of screen time on YouTube or yeah. other like AV um, uh, mediums. Yeah. So my new thought now is instead of writing a non-fiction book, because I'd love to write a book on how the voyage to Mars would evolve Earth, because I believe this is so clear to me in so many ways that I need to write it down and convince people how many different ways I can justify why getting to Mars is going to help solve a lot of problems that we have here on Earth, not by escaping, but by new learning. But then I'm thinking, who's going to read this book? So now I'm convinced um, that I need to change it into fiction and make it into like something that can be adapted into a TV series. And I'm not going to try and, you know, like be the teacher in the classroom with a stick trying to tell people my theories, but rather I'm going to write a story where my theories are already realized. So I'm going to set it in the near future, but it'll be like a legend. And anyway, thanks for letting me think out loud here because I'm busy doing this now. So there are four characters that represent different viewpoints and each of them have their own lives and their own rationale about why getting to Mars is so important. Um, yeah, and then in the end, you know, they end up going and stuff like that. But so that's only phase one. And then series two or season two comes out where they're actually on Mars. So we get to watch, you know, we get to experience and uh, immerse ourselves in the reality, which I think what we're getting used to now, not necessarily virtual reality, but that's where we're headed, where we like spend a lot of time immersing ourselves in the stories um, that we are convinced are real by the, the media that we Show these stories did, you, did you see they, they said they want to do a film I, i've forgotten who was wanting to do the film i think elon musk said he's going to support it or it might be jeff bezos so a film in space they want to do the oh, first yeah. movie did you see did you see that they, they said uh, we can get there now let's film it actually let's send people up and film the movie in space have you did you hear that it was like two days ago jim bridenstine the head of nasa said yeah he's, he's open to this discussion um, but guess who they want to send into space to inspire the next generation? Tom Cruise. I'm like, you guys are decades off. You guys are decades off. Like, you know, top, what's it called? Not top gear, top, top gun. Top gun. Top gun. 
See if even before my time, Top Gun was like way past its all by date, guys. I mean, that inspired that generation to become. The next one's coming out, eh? So you've got to you've got to find a new Tom, Tom Cruise. Come on, guys! Like there's plenty of up and coming actors to inspire For the next sure. generation about the future in space. Anyway, nothing really personal against Tom Cruise. I've never met him, but um, I think if they want to inspire a new generation, it's got to be a woman, and it's got to be someone who's not. Tom it has to be a woman. <laughs> Uh, so we can get into the woman thing in a second, but I mean, one of the things I think w- why I love what you're doing is because I think you're thinking so far into the future, and I I, I almost get that feeling as well that um, we even with COVID, what's happening, we we're quite immersed in the now, and how do we change our thoughts, goals, like? I try and have deep conversation with my children about their goals. And, and it is like, I don't know, dad, get off my case sort of thing. Um, and then I, and I try and make them be brave about something they want. And you're really putting yourself out there because, you know, saying you're going to Mars, it's quite easy for someone to view or judge you in a way that, well, no one else has really done it. So what are your chances? Um, but for me, it's the most exciting thing to hear what you're saying because it makes every other goal that I thought seem so easy, actually. That's why I love like what you're doing because, wow, if you're thinking that way and then you stop talking about how we could do it and the possibilities, then you start realizing, you know what? There is some truth in this. There is an element in reality to making this happen. Um, and, and and so how do we, I often get this sense that people feel like they're in challenging situations. And the, the other thing about that is that quite often, and you were saying it earlier, sometimes when you're in a challenging situation, that's the best thing for you. It's just, it's a bit rude to say that to someone when they're in a challenging <laughs> situation. No one likes to be told this is going to be good for you later on, right? Um, <laughs> so well, I mean, how, how do we... How do you think we help? I mean, you, you want to inspire people w- with that journey in space and those conversations in science. Um, how, how do you think you can talk to young people to do that? Do you think that that's easy or is it easier with them? Yeah, some are they more open open to ideas. So how I structure my, my talk for adults and children is sort of different because I have to spend a lot of time with the adults sort of premising and prefacing my whole arguments, like trying to understand where they come from and laying some groundwork. Whereas with the kids, I find I tell them what I want to do and they're immediately there. So I'm immediately getting people in the front row saying, we don't care about Mars. What about Jupiter? We want to go to Europa. They're already there with me. So in terms of convincing um, of possibilities, I think the younger people are, the more easily they are open to possibilities. Whereas the older we get, you know, adulteration or call it what you want, we become more um, less open to possibilities than we were when we were children. So encouraging curiosity in children, I think, it's not necessarily about um, telling them your ideas, but rather just opening their minds to possibilities and allowing them to come up with their mm-hmm. own theories. Um, this is also why I love talking to kids because with the adults, I can pretty much predict with a given audience what kind of questions are probably going to come out. And actually, it's audience. Have I asked them? It's a, no, no. This has been a this has been a, a different kind of fun chat. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, you haven't asked me if I'm going to have children on Mars, which is my least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, guys, I'll be I'll be too old by then anyway. I'll put better things to do. <laughs> no, I, was thinking, I, I was thinking. I was thinking. Europe, you you understand biology and everything, so 
there's many um, modern ways that you could have children anyway. So I don't think that's probably the center of your mind. Um, the population exploding. I just don't think that's really a priority. So I don't know why people's precious toys <laughs> Well, you can, you, you can have a couple of mine if you want. You can have a couple of mine if you want. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> they're very I'm nice. Sure we need some gamers on Mars. Um, maybe you can make some oh, yeah. games. Yeah, but I think Especially so, gamers. Um, Opening people's mind in gaming is one way to immerse yourself in a reality and become quite in a detailed way um, oriented towards a new environment. So I think the, the amount of time people are spending in virtual worlds um, is uh, opening possibilities in terms of landscapes and ways of doing things and whatever. But history, and I think you, you had mentioned this earlier, like describing parallels between what's happening now with what has happened mm. before is a great way through rationality to appeal to people's expansion of their minds. Um, so to look at the intercontinental travel by ship and say this was far more dangerous than the kind of uh, mm. protocols that we're going to, safety protocols that we'll have in place to get to Mars, far less uh, dangerous than the early explorers by ship. Um, and to look at parallels where these things are in fact repeating, you know, we think uh, we live in a completely mm. unique era and in some ways we do, but the challenges that we face are the same sort of age old challenges. So. So I suppose with children, if you can encourage curiosity from the beginning, then you're probably good to go because they'll they'll do the rest. Um, but for, yeah. for adults, I think referring to past events in human history is a great way to understand that this is not all unique. Maybe the context is unique, but the challenges and the, and the solutions probably we can actually learn from this. I mean, you mentioned something earlier. You talked about women being the first up in space. And obviously, you're going to put your hand right up there. That's me. And I'll be backing you all the way. I mean, the reality is that there's not as many women involved in either tech or space exploration as yourself. But we know, and you were saying it as well, to have a viable team to go to Mars, what women bring in terms of their diversity, different way of their empathy, um, their rational, it's so important. And, and we have a program around top women um, that we've been running with Standard Bank for almost 20 years now and i think the biggest opportunity we see in africa is actually supporting women entrepreneurs and and especially in sectors like technology and tech and so we're seeing that a lot of them are from disadvantaged backgrounds who are struggling in this period and, and we know it's real but at the same time we we believe that this is the time to inspire them to pivot, do things differently, and to embrace technology, and 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 think outside of their their where they're at, which is difficult, right? Because sometimes you're a product of your environment. Um, so, so what would your advice be to them? I mean, how do we get more women in, in tech? How do we get more women within the workplace, driving businesses? Mm, yeah, I mean, on the one hand, I would answer very flippantly and say it's simple, just do it. Um, you know, and we need yeah. more role models out there. We need more women just doing it, and we need to publicize what they're doing um, and just do it because uh, you know we, we, yeah. we all believe women have equal capabilities as men do. Maybe different strengths and weaknesses depending on the individual and not the gender. But uh, we're all humans. We've got the same genetics, you know, and uh, just do it. You know, don't believe people who tell you you can't. Um, and particularly in the Hollywood context, there are plenty of women actors who can go to the space station and act in the movie, so there's no gender disparity there. So in the, in the cases where there are women available, you know, promote them, let them do their thing, um, support them and let them be an inspiration to the next generation. 
But on the other hand, it is very complex, and there are lots of um, sort of you know whether it's cultural or economic or whatever whatever reasons that women are not getting or girls are not getting equal access to education. And then I'd say, yeah, it has to start young. I mean, maybe in the mm. South African context, we've seen the problem with focusing on education in a top-down way. You know, you first focus on trying to improve your university outputs, but then you realize your basic education has failed, and a lot mm. of children at age 10 can't read compared to other countries. So uh, whatever aspect of, of education you're looking at, I believe education is at the core of it. Um, the equality that we'd like to see in society has to start with education. You know, this is what we do as humans if we want to look at what makes us different to other species. It's not our intelligence necessarily. I think it's our education and the way that we share knowledge in a way that other species don't um, in terms of having institutions and bodies of knowledge and books and the internet and all of those things as a way to store and communicate this, this knowledge. So it's got to be education. It's got to start young. I don't know whether it's going to be government intervention that does it because, gosh, we're also tired of waiting for solutions from that side of things. So maybe it's going to be a, a private sector intervention also where more funding is put into young people because this is the biggest resource, you know. So if anyone is profit-driven, well, let's think about the, the profit in terms of having an educated society. And this is something we all benefit from. Um, and perhaps it starts even on a smaller basis in communities or, or in the home. But I think investing in education and curiosity and allowing, allowing humans to be humans and ask questions and have access to knowledge um, is really at the core of it. Um, and then if we want another practical word. solutions, we need data, we need cheap data because that's how we're distributing mm. knowledge nowadays mm. and South Africa having a higher than average for developing countries um, cost of data is just mm. unacceptable um, because at least if we can all have access to the internet, um, that's at least one step towards being able to exercise our curiosity. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned quite a bit there. I mean, you, you mentioned profit. A lot of people say incentive. So they just see money as incentive because people can't go to the grave with money. But what they do is they trade money for freedom and freedom to do the things they want. And you found different aspects to do that. You've got freedom right now um, in living the way you're living. So, I mean, that's great. Um, and, and I do think that um, education is, is at the center, right? I mean, it, re it has to be. But I, I think it, education in terms of the doing so I like look at these Montessori schools and I just think it's so amazing because you're, you're seeing practical things building as opposed to words on a, on a board or on a screen. Um, and, I, and, and I think, I don't know how much you've learned from building your mm. house and by taking the, 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 you know, the materials up and down those two tons, how you learned now how to do that in a practical way. Like that must have been quite a stock, you know, learning curve for you, far more than reading a textbook about it. Um, the actual doing, and I, and I really do feel that we've got to bring that in. I, I look at what Elon Musk is doing, and someone said to him, he was on Joe Rogan's podcast, and he said, how do you find the time? How do you find the time? I asked him 10 times. And Elon said, well, actually, I, I think he said he spends like 10 or 15%, maybe less, on his business managing it. 85% is building stuff. He's an engineer. He's building and making things. And maybe we've got to move towards that. What are we building? What can we build? If it be a little hut or something, or and again, I go to places like Indonesia, and you go past a street, and every single person without fail is selling something. If it's grain, if it's water, if it's petrol, they're all trading, and I get that sense of that trading is is how they learn to build their economies. Versus, I feel, yeah, 
people aren't learnt to sell and trade and build as much. And, and so is there a new way of looking at how we educate people maybe as well? Yeah, and then you also have to give priorities to, to different professions then. So just thinking what you said now, I mean, like teachers being an undervalued profession in terms of salary and uh, it's probably at the core of it, but um, indeed um, being active, I suppose, walking, walking the talk could be one way of saying it. You know, people have a lot of theories now, a lot of armchair critics on the WhatsApp groups and I'm not on Facebook, thankfully, but the WhatsApp is hard enough to see all the different theories coming out about the way the world should be compared to how it is. So great. I think um, that's a great piece of advice um, for everyone out there is to think about how you can actually live the theories that you are trying to convince others are, are correct. Get out there and do it. And yeah, building the house was, I mean, it sounds like a bit of a stretch to say it was preparing for Mars, but um, in some ways it was like uh, analyzing how little do you need to function every day? Um, you know, what minimum infrastructure do you need to set up like a base? Um, obviously on Mars, it's going to be slightly different, um, but to, to also understand how you react to that kind of situation when you strip away everything and you have to build everything from scratch. What are the first things that you need to build to be functional? Um, what kind of disagreements emerge in the group living under these kind of conditions? Um, and these are considerations, whatever planet we're on, when we think about stripping away the layers of, of society, what do we really need? And I think whether people have lost jobs or had their source of income shift or whatever during this time is a great way to think about what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Like every day when you wake up, what are you going to do? What are you going to put your effort and time into? And how does that align with your theories about the kind of world you want to live in? Do they align mm -hmm. at all? And if not, then this is a great opportunity to, you know, leave the city, go live in the countryside and build whatever you want to build, exchange it with your neighbors to, to survive. Like my cousin. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's definitely no problem with um, like uh, products and produce out here because you know you do know the guy where you get your your pork from, or you do know the person who provides the dairy produce for the region. Something about the Nature's Valley dairy and all of the wonderful places you have around here. So you literally do know where all the stuff comes from. People are doing and meaningfully contributing to the community through that. So yeah, maybe we need to to rethink city life and. Um, and uh, what that means on an individual level, like what are we striving for? Yeah, mm. I, I do. So um, I moved to Komaki instead of moving to Sydney. I moved to Komaki. Um, mm. But but I, what I also found is that but I've moved back to Hout Bay, and I found that having a community of friends and people I grew up with and knew, there's something nice about that as well. Um, so I love living on the beach in Komaki, but maybe having our friends and close family members around is is also something that's really important to me certainly um growing up i mean one of the things with your goal setting going to mars it's a huge audacious goal um what what are your principles for goals i mean if 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 you've got a young person who's looking at setting their life goals or how what do you have any principles for what guides you for your goals because you've achieved so much already i mean do you get do you surprise yourself when you achieve the things you do when you became part of the hundred when you got your phds i mean you've worked in big corporates as like head of innovation for sap so you've you've got like the top jobs um in the corporate world um you've built your house now so, 
do you do you have a process like Elon Musk got that first principle when he's making decisions? Do you have a process or principles for these goals that you're setting? Well, I think um, you've got to look at the basic facts, and this would be the physics physics approach. You know, you break it down to basic assumptions. So, as far as we know, we only live once. Okay, other people have other theories, and um, but let's assume we only live once. And we I was going to ask die. you about that. <laughs> well, I can't prove any of that. So let's assume we only live once, and we yeah. definitely die because um, those could be should be the case, and we definitely yeah, so die. Those we know. Then, then what are you going to spend your time doing here? And I think it's easy to eliminate things that are fear-driven or driven by um, anything that's not altruistic. So let's do away with, with the fear-driven way that we react to many of the um, external scenarios we see around ourselves. But what do we want to be inspired by then? Um, so back to physics, I think there's no such thing as a single living organism. So when you're looking at bacteria, they exist in colonies, you know, billions of things. When we look at plants, you know, the seed, you know, reproduction by seed and whatever nature of plants is no such thing as a single living plant. There's no such thing as a single living um, animal. Of course, everyone has parents and families and communities. So if we look at the fundamental um, characteristics of life, there's no such thing as a single living organism. So we need to do away with this idea that we are somehow separate from everything that goes on around us. So yeah. we're all we're all part of the same system. So I think the first thing you need to do when establishing your principles is to think about how your activities are going to benefit the rest of the living systems around you. Um, and uh, I don't know whether most people think about this at all. They're rather fear-driven that they need to get a job. They're going to need to support a family at some point. And that's how they decide what they're going to do because they're going to need money and they're afraid of not having money. And that's how they make their life choices. Rather, let's think like we've got limited time on this planet. I mean, it's a pretty damn beautiful planet compared to some of the other desolate places that we see around the, the solar system. We haven't really looked further because we don't know how to, but we're living here on a planet where you can breathe the air, where water used to anyway, flow cleanly and freely in rivers that we could drink. Plants grow by themselves. Um, there's really very little to, to worry about, isn't there? Okay. Then <laughs> fast forward to the current pandemic and we're living in fear again, but yet we've got all these abundant resources. So. I think we yeah, have to decide to live out our lives here in a way that is driven by positivity. And for me, that's the spirit of collaboration and the spirit that we're all together in this. I mean, we're all stuck on one planet for now. Some of us uh, may get to leave and, and stuck escape. on two planets. <laughs> but we haven't figured out how to leave the solar system. So we're all here in the solar system, at least together. So we better figure out how to get on because that's in fact the fundamental nature of life is the network and the collaboration, the spirits of sharing. And, you know, trees and, and forests distribute resources through their roots, even to other species, because that's how the forest survives. And it's a distribution of resources through the whole system. So if we are going to act in opposition to nature and have this illusion that we are individuals that can have individual plans that don't impact or don't rely on others, and then we will be proved to be wrong. And if our species wants to adopt this arrogant notion that we're better than the rest of the systems that support us, we will go extinct. And that's what happens to most species. So we better hope that we learn and pretty fast um, that life is a network, that we are just one small node in this miracle, mystical network of life, um, and embrace that. So uh, because we've got the capability to do so, I think we need to think about how we can make it better for the rest of the system. Not only humans, but the, the other living systems on this planet and perhaps others, you know, how can we make it better? 
because um, if you want to leave the world a better place, I think that's a, a good a good way to position your, your dreams. Um, how can I make the world a better place for the other living systems that I share this reality with? Yeah, I think I like your analogy of the ecosystem helping one another. It's so true, right? So we just have to walk in a forest and see how everything interconnects, um, bees. So, um, and I think that, that society-wise and business, we need to be doing the same thing. I think instead of competing with one another, we need to be collaborating. And I think, you know, uh, if you think... If, if Musk and um, Bezos were working together as opposed to competing, would that help or would that, uh, would that speed up innovation or would it slow it down? So you've got those sorts of questions that do come to mind as well. Um, it was really great speaking to you. I mean, w one of the things that intrigues me is, it, is that you have the world as your oyster. You You sort of did some teaching in Japan and you studied a little bit and lectured in Singapore and you're overqualified for any country. You could live anywhere. You've, you've chosen Titsikama. So you obviously have a belief in South Africa and Africa. What is, what is it? What do you see the future holding in Africa? There's a lot of trekkers who are going trekking back to Europe. What, mm. what's your, what? Yeah. I mean, I've, as, as we've discussed earlier, I think a challenging situation uh, increases one's speed of learning. So if you find yourself running away from a challenging situation, you're actually not doing yourself any favors because you are postponing that learning that should have taken place and are trying to escape it, which you will find will not be successful, I do believe, because um, you know, as much as you try to find greener pastures, I think you'll find there will be other challenges there. So certainly going to Mars is nothing to do with escaping Earth. Um, this is rather about getting out of one's comfort zone. And I think in terms of um, South Africa and Africa, as a privileged person who's had access to a PhD level education, I believe that comes with a responsibility, a heavier responsibility to stay and share that knowledge. So although I don't think I spent more than a month in the country last year because of traveling so much, um, this is my home, um, and uh, this is where I will stay um, for the time being until I get uh, my, my ticket to Mars, is guaranteed. <laughs> um, because, yeah, I think the, the challenges that we face in our everyday life are there for a reason. Um, this is a learning curve that we're on uh, in life in general. We're not here for a free ride, and we're here to learn. And uh, mm. we're better to learn than a challenging scenario <laughs> like the current one. So I think... Um, being in South Africa or being in Africa or being anywhere in the world right now, things aren't necessarily any easier wherever you might look. Um, and that's because yeah. uh, it's, still, it's still planet Earth, we're still humans, and we've got the same baggage and the same sort of dreams, you know, wherever, wherever we go. So I think we need, a, we need an African space agency because we've got a massive part of the equator from which we can launch. I think there's no reason to look at countries like um, the US and Russia and China being the sole sort of keepers of, of space. Um, as yeah. Elon Musk has partially shown now the power of an individual. Um, I think Africa, we need, to, we need to up our game now. We need to acknowledge the massive resources we have, the human potential, but also the physical resources. Start manufacturing, mm. start developing, start aiming for really high heights. You know, there's no reason mm. to undermine your, your aspirations. You know, let's, let's go for it. Um, I, I, we're seeing a bit of a problem in leadership in, in terms of echoing um, the, the possibilities and the aspirations. 
um, yeah, in terms of perhaps the, on the ensuing debt, increased debt that many countries in Africa mm. may face after this, after this scenario. But I think this is a great opportunity to look at local resilience and say, what do we have and uh, where are we going and where are we here together? Mm. So let's, let's aim high. Um, I'd love to see Africa launching from the equatorial regions because this is the cheapest, easiest way to launch. And I'd love to see some of the, call it Ubuntu, call it whatever, but um, dealing with mm. the challenging, harsh environments. Um, something a lot of parts of Africa have come to terms with, also through technology. So let's use these skills, let's use this capacity for resilience that is innate, I think. Um, and let's pioneer new trajectories in technology. Um, the fourth industrial revolution is not something that we should be following, it's something that we should be pioneering. Um, and there's no mm. reason why we shouldn't see the next wave of big ideas coming out of Africa. We've got uh, so many minds, I think, and that's the real potential is all of those minds. How do you overcome fear? Yeah, I mean, fear is just a preliminary state. So fear often comes before something great. Um, it's like anticipation or, or anxiety about the unknown. So I suppose one should look at enjoying that fear. <laughs> Ask yourself why you feel fear. Ask yourself mm. what's coming up. Um, get through that moment and then teach yourself that in the future, the next time you feel fear, remind yourself that what came next was a, a great learning. Um, overcoming mm. a hurdle and learning new skills, meeting new people, seeing new places. Um, so I think fear is kind of an acknowledgement that one is entering an unknown scenario, um, mm. but that just means be better equipped next time um, or mm. perhaps uh, brace yourself for one of the biggest achievements you're ever going to make because, um, yeah, uh, the unknown is where, where great new things can happen. So um, maybe I'm asking for other people, but there seems to be a lot of commentary around COVID-19. Do you have any insight? Like, is it, was it manufactured? Is it a natural uh, virus? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, one of my big objections to this uh, lockdown and the pandemic that's forced us to look and get all of our information online is all of these self-proclaimed experts. So I'm not going to pretend to be one of those um, and uh, give my theories. Um, I, I, I thought you were talking would... to an intelligent person. <laughs> I could get an intelligent answer. Yeah, I mean, uh, no one really knows what's going on. Let's say that. So there's a lot of uncertainty, yeah. a lot of contradiction, a lot of absolutely ridiculous and bizarre things going on around the world. Um, a lot yeah. of conflict uh, in terms of uh, looking at what's happening in the US. So hopefully a lot of resolution that will also come post this scenario, um, yeah. but I think you know, here's, something, here's something juicy then maybe, like let's say you were uh, an observer of what was going on on Earth and you realize that humanity is going down a one-way track into chaos and perhaps extinction in the next century. And you wonder what kind of scenario you could maybe um, implement on the planet that would be a very mild kind of warning, the most mild wake-up call that you could think of. And sometimes I think that this, this relatively mild virus, let's be honest, whether or not it's more dangerous than the flu is still debated. And certainly none of us lived in you know, anxiety and sleeplessness over the flu, or at least I don't, and won't after this either. But anyway, um, if you were to send a very friendly warning to Earth, what would it look like? Um, and in some ways, I think this is the perfect friendly warning. It's a tap on the shoulder to say, guys, your current trajectory is not sustainable. You have to deal with inequality. You have to deal with lack of access to things like healthcare. 
You're increasing your population size on a planet that's got a finite set of resources. Your current consumption-driven model is not sustainable for much longer. You've got to wake up and change your ways. Um, and uh, I don't know what other people think, but uh, I think this is a kind of a mild event in terms of what is possible and what we will face in the future when we couple climate change with increasing lack of access to resources, um, worse pandemics, far worse pandemics. Um, because the, the more we grow our population and we stay on the same planet, the more these kind of events will increase. So let's, uh, let's take heed of this friendly warning. Um, let's really take to heart the kind of lessons that we've learned during this friendly warning. Whether or not it was designed, I don't know, but um, I think if I try to think of ways to wake people up, this hopefully is one that uh, didn't cause too much devastation, but hopefully it gets people to wake up and do things drastically differently to how they did them in 2019. I mean, you studied economics. And I think people are wondering how the economy is going to look post-COVID. Completely different, I hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, do, do you see entrepreneurship growing or do you see big corporations being more important? Do you see more legislation from governments regulating things or do you see less regulations and more free market economy? I think people underestimate their, their power and their agency in all of this. Um, you know, mm. we've sort of been sold the story that we're, we're just uh, riding this wave of technological development, you know, whether we like it or not, you know, soon we'll be overrun by AI and all of this stuff. Like, that's absolutely not true. You know, every day we wake up and we have agency. We have decisions that we make. We have people that we influence. We have um, people we learn from. We have we have complete agency in this. So we have to first of all do away with the theory that we are passive. We are not passive. We have to be active. Um, so whether or not we allow increased authoritarian regulations to infiltrate through our societies or not is our choice. And now is a perfect time to make that choice. Um, if enough of us stand up and say we don't accept this, we want to live in a new way, and moreover, as we've discussed, start living in that way. Don't just talk about it on, on Facebook or whatever. Actually, start living it. Do it in your company. Change the way you do business. Um, thinking of a new economic model is quite a big leap, but certainly within the current paradigm, there's so much we can do in terms of how we think about our, our business models. You know, how, uh, I don't want to get into details because that's exactly what each person needs to flesh out for themselves. But let's refuse to do things in a way that we don't want to, and let's pioneer ways that we believe are right and that we can come to community consensus on. And um, now's a perfect opportunity to enforce what we want to see the future becoming um, become. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that your your financing model of exchange or contra deals or whatever you want to call it, uh, economically funding projects and communities is probably one of the the easiest ways that we can drive this change as well um, because it was gold initially now it's gone to the dollar and we need to find other measurements how we trade and do business and show value to the things that we really want so yeah, yeah it's been the, the, yeah, yeah. No, the, end, the end goal is probably like a blockchain based trade trade based yeah. economy that's, that's what i believe so in your business community, one could set up a one could set up a cryptocurrency and use that to exchange the value between. The that sounds very complicated to me. I'm like, how do you do that? You get an well, IT person to build it for you. <laughs> it's up to what huh? you, want. you get an IT person to, to build it. Um, build it. No, I think the ideology is the important is the important point. So 
what what yeah. you know what on what basis do you want to exchange with the people around you and what kind of systems could set up security to enable you guys to do business like that um yeah so that's the future it was truly amazing to speak to you i feel i've got lots to talk about to my friends for the next couple of weeks now after an hour with you so and if I drive past Titsu Khan, I'm going to cry and, cry and look you down. So Yeah, I must, I must meet up with your cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Don, five kids. Yeah, I'm going to tell him. And right? his kids. Five kids. And his kids. <laughs> five, right? um, and we love nature. We love it up there as well. So it was so good to talk to you. We've got a big event happening in October around our top woman. Um, we'd love to invite you to that platform as well. I think that. You, you are such an inspiration for not just South Africans, but women and people, humanity around the world. I was, I'm truly honored to speak to you today. So thank you so much for your time. It was really, thank really you, It's been very refreshing. I really enjoyed chatting with you. I didn't ask about the kids either. So there you go. Right. <laughs> yeah, success. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much. Thanks,